Open with me in your scriptures today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 5. This will be the 15th message in our series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. It will be the third message dealing with the third beatitude of meekness. We read to you from Matthew 5 and verse 5 these words. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we want to spend in this message this morning dealing with the term and what it means to inherit the earth. In the previous messages, we have looked at this subject of meekness. And we have seen that basically meekness is a character of life in a Christian which is revealed in how they react to the actions of others. All around us, we encounter actions which other people perform, which affect our individual lives. Meekness is this spiritual grace which is implanted within the heart of a Christian to enable us to react in the way Christ would react when others treat us a certain way. This meekness reacts both toward God's providence and toward the actions of men. It reacts to the crosses, the heavy crosses, that God sees fit in his providence to lay in our lives. We looked at some illustrations last week of this in the lives of some of the godly saints in the Bible. And we saw how Aaron had to stand and watch the judgment of God fall upon his two ungodly sons for their actions. And yet we read that Aaron held his peace when he saw it was God that was doing it. We saw that when Eli had his two sons smitten under the judgment of God. Why, he merely replied, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good unto him. So Christian meekness reacts to the providence of God when these heavy crosses are placed upon us. It reacts with Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Christian meekness reacts when our fellow man mistreats us, the way that Shimei, when he cursed David, when David was being run out of town like a renegade as he was the king. But Shimei, that man stood there as David left town in disgrace, and he was cursing David. And David's army, one of his captains, said, let me go over and remove his head from him. And David said, let him alone. Let him curse. Perhaps the Lord will bring good from this. So this grace of meekness is something that is highly desirable. We are encouraged to seek out after it in the scriptures as we would seek out after gold and silver and precious stones. We found that this meekness, in order to live in peace with each other, in this sinful world, meekness does not seek to advance one's own personal reputation. But when one's own reputation is at stake, in order to maintain peace, 
The Christian then forfeits that as Jesus made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself the form of a man. But at the same time, this meekness is willing to suffer the wrath of public opinion whenever God's reputation is at stake. And we saw this in the life of Jesus Christ, who described himself as a meek and lowly man, yet he went into the temple where God's truth was to exist. And when he saw what they were doing in his temple, he became angry and with a holy wrath rose up and drove out the money changers from the temple. So meekness is not weakness. It is that which, when one's own personal reputation is at stake, in order to maintain peace with each other, then we back off as Jesus would when he was charged with being uh, born illegitimately and merely walk out from that multitude. But whenever the honor of his father was at stake, he stood and with a holy indignation rebuked those who were guilty. Now, what does this meekness produce? There is a reward for it, and Jesus says, this is it, they shall inherit the earth. How does this meekness prepare a person to inherit the earth? And that's what we want to deal with today. First, we'll look at the word inherit. What does the word inherit mean? And it means basically this, to come into possession of that which originally belonged to another. Now, get that in your minds, if you will, please. To inherit something means to come into possession of that which originally belonged to another. We are told in the Bible that a Christian is an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. An heir is that once that the person dies, an heir is that which receives the inheritance or the property or that which belonged to the one who died, the heir inherits that. And Jesus Christ came and died for sinners in order that we might inherit something. And in order to prepare us to inherit this, the grace of God must be poured out upon us to break this proud, rebellious spirit and to cause us to mourn over our condition and to make us a meek people. And in doing so, we become heirs of the earth. And so inherit then basically means to come into possession of that which originally belonged to another. In order to understand what it means to inherit the earth, we have to understand something a little bit of the history of our race of human beings. God created us as a race of beings distinct from the angels and distinct from the animal and plant creations. We are made a little lower than the angels, but we are made superior or elevated above the animal and the plant creations. And God created Adam. And he appointed Adam to a certain position in his creation of importance. It was a position of priority over all the earth in that he was a superior being. He was not made like the dumb beast which react by instinct 
that Adam was made with a rational capacity to know and understand God and to make decisions. And so Adam was given a position in which he inherited the whole earth by the appointment of God. And in that original position, Adam enjoyed great peace, he enjoyed great joy, and he was extremely contented in God's appointed place for human life. And it was not until the serpent or Satan came and convinced him that God was withholding something from him, that he really had more coming to him than what God had given to him, that he forfeited all of this peace, joy, and contentment he had in God's appointed place in his life. Now, ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls this morning, if you will follow with me carefully and the Holy Spirit is pleased to do so, I hope we can trace right down to the root this morning of the root cause of so much of this disenchantment and unsatisfaction and discontentment that comes in our lives. Remember our race one time was a play a race which was at peace, it had joy, it was contented. Now, can you say that of yourself this morning? Can you say, I am at peace with myself and my world? I have great joy. I have contentment. I'm happy with where God has put me at in life. Or do you find a disenchantment? Are you dissatisfied? Are you upset? Then, my friend, there's a cause for that, and that cause is called sin. Sin entered into this contented man called Adam with the idea of promising him that if he would just reach out and take a little more, then he would have more contentment and more joy and more happiness. Instead, he lost all of that which God had given him when he made him ruler over the earth and all the creatures therein. So sin took away from Adam that which Adam possessed. And had Adam not sinned, you and I today would be perfectly happy, perfectly contented in our existence this morning. But there is a way in which that we can have that contentment restored. Sin tells man that he must gain more things in order to be happy. And so the rich man goes out, as Jesus describes, and he says, Now I have a lot of barns, but I'm still not happy. And the only way I can become more happy and more at peace with myself and more contented is if I go out and I tear down these barns and build bigger barns. And we know the history of where that gets us. You get the bigger barns and we're not happy with that. We must continually thinking as Satan tempts and says, now you can't be happy with what you have. You've got to have more and more and more. And so man, Jesus says, is trying to gain the world, but he also gives this warning. What shall it profit a man if he what? Gain the whole world and lose his what? His own soul. So man is, is possessed with this thing of trying to make himself happy by accumulating more of the possessions of this world. And if he owns a thousand acres, he's not happy with that. But he thinks, if I can get ten thousand, then I'll be happy and contented. 
And he gains that. And instead of, of uh, acknowledging how good God has been and giving it to him, he sets moping because he looks over across the field and he sees his neighbor with 50,000. And his neighbor's possession robs him of his own contentment and happiness of his own. And so sin has taken man away from his appointed lot in life. And now then he has lost the earth. True, he may possess and own many of its acres, but listen carefully, those possess him, he doesn't possess them. And there's a difference in that. There's a difference in me owning a thousand acres and possessing those and having those thousand acres possess me where I just can't live without them. And that's, in essence, what's happened to the race of our, of our human race. Now, each person, when we enter into this life, is bestowed with certain talents which we are to use in order to perform God's appointed lot for our life. Our Constitution here in the United States of America is well and good up to a point. In it, it says that all men are created equal and have access to certain unalienable rights, or however you pronounce that great big word there. Now, what does that mean? It's true, and we ought to be proud of that, that under our system of government, everyone should have the same access under the same system of laws. But, dear people, it is not true in the Bible, that every person enters this world in the same situation. It is not true that every person is created equal with the same gifts and the same positions in life. We see some enter this world maimed. I stand before you today with a normal human body, but not everybody came into this world in the same position that I did. And Jesus says, to whom much is given, much shall be required. I have certain talents that you do not have. You have certain talents that I do not have. And we are responsible for the appointed lot that we received in life to use those talents for the glory of God. But not everyone has the same degree of talents, but everyone will be held accountable before God as to how they use the talents which are given them. Not everybody is appointed to be a king. Not everybody is appointed to be a rich man. Not everybody is appointed to be to hold the same positions in life. But we are appointed to a certain place, and it's only as we see what meekness is that we can find that we can be contented with our appointed lot in life. Go with me in your scriptures to the book of Matthew, chapter 25 and verse 14. And here we'll see the basis for these statements which we have just made. Matthew, chapter 25 and verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and divided unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, according to his several or natural ability, and straightway took his journey. Now notice here certain people are given five talents, certain two and certain one. 
And the one that had the two talents was responsible for how he used the two, not how his neighbor used the five. And if you happen to be one of those individuals here today whom God has given much to, you came into this world and most of your financial problems were already taken care of by your parents before you ever entered into this world. And you came in with a far superior situation than some of us that are here today then you're going to have to use that appointed lot and you're going to be held more accountable than the person who has the two talents and the person who has the one. So we must understand then that different people, as they come into this life, they are appointed to certain lots and positions in life. And we must find what those are and improve upon those talents. This does not mean we are lazy. It does not mean that we are slothful. It does not mean that it is something wrong in which that we work and we desire to achieve and to produce. But it simply means that while we are working and while we are achieving and while we are taking care of the affairs of this life, at the same time, we're not letting our present day eat us up with discontentment because our neighbor over here has a superior talent. And we're jealous and it's robbing us and eating us out in our inner man. God has appointed us to go out into our jobs. And if he has appointed you to be a truck driver, you be the best truck driver you can be. If he has appointed you to be a farmer or a businessman or a store operator, then go out and be the best that you can be and learn how to advance your business and and make progress because one day God's going to call you in as a steward to give an account of how you conducted yourself. But if in doing the best of your ability, you're only a five-talent businessman, And you recognize that. Do not look over at the ten-talent businessman and let his wealth and his blessings eat you up in jealousy because you do not have that in life. God has not appointed that for you. And when we let try to move out of our appointed lot in life, that's when we lose joy, peace, and contentment. Remember, Adam was given an appointed place. And he was happy. He was at peace with himself and with his creation. He was contented until he moved out of God's appointed place and said, I'll be God. Scoot over, God. I'm going to take over. And he listened to that old serpent's lie. You shall be as gods. You shall be as gods in the day that you eat thereof. So sin is basically, if we can define it as this definition, Sin is the coveting of that which is beyond our natural talents or ability to attain. Let me illustrate that. Let's suppose I have a certain income, which I do. And in that income, that allows me to buy uh, a Ford. All right, that's what kind of an automobile I have. I can afford a Ford and I can make the payments on them. But I cannot, within my ability, which God has appointed me, afford a Cadillac. Now, I am not to sit here now and let every one of those... I don't know whether some of you may have Cadillacs here. It's well and good. You get tired of it, why bring it to me and I'll take it off your hands, all right? 
You get a little extra money, and if you're getting burdened about it, why, bring it to your pastor, and I'll relieve you of your burden, okay? No, seriously, if you have a Cadillac, drive it. But if I look out, and God has appointed me a five-talent income, and I can afford a Ford, and that's all, I move out of my place when I sit there and I have my insides eat, eat themselves up every time I see you drive by in the Cadillac. I am to work and use the talents which God appoints for me and stay within that appointed lot. And I can use those for his honor and for his glory. And that's why I don't find fault with those that some do, that find fault with Christians that, whom God has blessed much with driving around in a Cadillac. If God has blessed you much, then use it for his own glory. Give him the glory for it. But at the same time, if God has not appointed that for our lives, then let us not try to move out of our dominion and into somebody else's which God has not appointed for us. Now, salvation's basic goal is to restore back to man, Adam, the contentment and the satisfaction which God appointed for our lot in life, whatever that may be. Do you get that? The basic end design of why God saves sinners is to put individuals like Jim Gables back into an existence where Jim Gables can be content and satisfied with whatever the appointed will of God is for his life. And you see, I cannot inherit that until, first of all, God come and he produce a meekness in me to make me willing to bow to whatever talents God gives me. As long as I have this dominion of pride which says, God, I am not content with driving a Ford. I must have that Cadillac. Then in doing so, I have stepped out of God's appointed bounds. Now, if that time ever comes when he increases my ability to do so, we'll cross that when that time comes. All right, Rick, will you ever get a little extra bonus and come by and give it to your pastor? Why, uh, we might be able to do that, okay? But that time has not come. And so I abide with a state of peace and satisfaction with my appointed lot in life. Now, that's the end design of what the Bible calls conformity to Jesus Christ, to his image. Do you believe here today that God had an appointed life for Jesus Christ? How many of you believe that? You believe it? You believe that Jesus' life was appointed by God the Father to come and do what he was supposed to do? Do we ever find Jesus complaining with that? Hmm? No. Conformity to the image of Christ is taking me as a sinner and enabling me that whatever my lot in life is, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's what's the essence of salvation. True salvation involves forgiveness of sins. But salvation is more than mere forgiveness. It enables me to live as Adam was intended to live. To enjoy what Adam enjoyed. To inherit and possess all that this earth has. And Jesus Christ now died for me. And he paid the price. And now then he has left to me an inheritance that I share in all of what he shares in. 
And Jesus Christ shares perfectly when he says, I delight to do thy will, O God. Can you say that today? I delight in the will of God. That's what Jesus delights in. So Jesus never sinned against the appointed cup or cross which God gave him. Now, what does union with Christ when we believe in him and we're joined to him by faith? This life which he lived in subjection to the appointed will of God, and now then we are joined to him in faith. What do we receive from this? Go to the book of Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10 and verse 28. The disciples asked a question one day. They'd just seen a rich young ruler leave the Lord, didn't want to meet the demands of salvation and conversion. So Peter, in verse 28, asked a question. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and we have followed thee. You compare this with the other Gospels, you'll find Peter's asking a question. Now, Lord, we've left our homes, we've left our jobs. To follow you, what do we receive from it? Well, what does a Christian receive from conversion to Christ? Then Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. I note that's in there, Christian. The Christian life, you're going to receive some things from union with Christ, but there's going to be persecutions and trials with it. And in the world to come, eternal life. So we receive a certain reward while we're living now, and then that is magnified in the world or the earth to come. So there then, in light of this teaching, we are now capable of inheriting some of the earth, and one day we shall come into a perfect inheritance which is uncorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now this enables us then, the believer, to possess what God has appointed to us whether it be great or whether it be small. If we see that we are a unique creature that has come forth from the mold of God's creative grace, and that I am a distinct creature and God has appointed to me certain tasks that he has not appointed for you, and I'm an individual, I'm a person, I'm not lost in all this mass of humanity out here. But God has a will for my life, and he has appointed that for me. Then I can be enabled through the grace of God that whether that appointed lot is a ten talent, whether it's a five, or whether it's a one, to be content and to be at peace with my lot in life. Now look at this as it's illustrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 21. The Corinthian church was having a problem arguing over who was the best preacher they'd had. 
And some of them will saying, well, boy, Paul, our founding pastor, he was sure a good preacher. And others were saying, yeah, but he couldn't preach like Apollos. He was so eloquent. Oh, when Apollos spoke, it just seemed like the words just flowed out. And oh, he's my man. And I said, I don't know. Old Peter was pretty good, too. And so they were just having a real division in there over who was the who was the most gifted preacher. And so Paul answered their problem with this. First Corinthians, chapter three, verse twenty one. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, what's the significance of that? You compare that with Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And it simply means this. We're not to glory in men, but God has an appointed lot. And whether he gives us a Paul, a Paul sort of a Peter to be our pastor, that's God's appointed lot. And it's for you. And then also, yours is the world. He created a world for me to live in. He gave me a life to live. But notice it also says he has a death appointed for me also. And if God does not come in my lifetime, then there's somebody who's going to pick up this body one of these days and take it back to the dust of the earth from whence it came. That's appointed also unto man wants to die and after this to judgment. Or things present, the present affairs in my life. They're appointed by God for me. And then those things that eat us up sometimes as Christians. But what about the future, Pastor? What's going to happen out here one of these days when I know by natural reasoning this is going to occur? I'm not going to always have my husband. I'm not going to always have my wife. My children are not always going to be in my home. Pastor, what's the future hold? Paul says the future is yours because it's in God's hands. I don't know about tomorrow, who holds the, how is it? I don't know about the future, but I know who holds the future. And God's, my life is in God's hands. My life is His, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And here we have a great text of Scripture to show how that we can even have a very low state in life and be the richest man alive. You think you can? Notice the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. Now notice this. As having nothing, and yet what? Possessing all things. Is that man crazy? He says, I have nothing, and yet I possess all things. How could he talk like that? My friend, he had inherited the earth. The earth was his. Whatever God's appointed lot was for Paul, he could say with the songwriter, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. When the Philippians would send him a love offering, he would write back and say, Oh, I thank you for your concern. I thank you for the thought that goes with it. But he said, I want you to know I really didn't need it. 
For I know how to abound, and I know how to be abased. And I have learned that whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Paul says, thank you for thinking about me. But God knows my needs, and He knows how to make me rich, and He knows how to make me hungry. But in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You see how we inherit the earth? When that Spirit of grace comes and it produces in us that meekness that whatever God allots in our life, whether He places us over here as some little uh, field of land and a little tractor, and that's all we ever have out of this life, then, my friend, we can say, I'm the richest man in the world, for that's what God has for me. So, you see, meekness prepares us to inherit the things of this life. Now, let's look at quickly the benefits of this. Go back now, and I would like for all of you to turn there to for this passage of Scripture, the 37th Psalm and verse 11. And here is the verse that Jesus used to base this teaching on. What does it mean to inherit the earth? The psalmist David tells us this in the Old Testament Hundreds of years before Jesus spoke these words. Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of what? Peace. Now, that's what's called in the Bible Hebrew parallelism. In the Old Testament, you have that all the way through. The Jewish people, they spoke like this. They would make a statement. And then they would repeat it with other words, the same meaning, but with phrase differently. Now, here's what it means. The meek shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? They shall delight themselves by being at peace. Hmm? What more can we have than peace? Ladies and gentlemen, the world today is going mad trying to obtain peace with themselves. They go to the cities to earn the income. And then when the time clock blows on Friday afternoon, they've got to seek to the recluse of the country to get away from it all, trying to find peace with themselves and each other. The psalmist David says, the meek man is at peace with himself and with his God and with his world. Oh, what a blessing it is to have God make us meek because that prepares us to live a life in which we possess our lives. Our lives don't possess us. Then it not only has the benefit of meekness in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 19. Meekness and inheriting the earth gives us great joy. Isaiah chapter 29, find it in just a moment, and verse 19. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Are you growing in grace, dear Christian? Are you growing in the Lord? Now, look, look what's happening. If you are growing in the knowledge of the Lord, your joy is increasing. You're understanding more about life. But it also says something else is happening, too. You're becoming more meek. And if this is true inside, then my fellow man ought to see this taking place here. Is that right? 
the meek shall increase their joy. Meekness is how I react to other people. If I'm growing in the joy of the Lord, then my wife and kids ought to be able to see that as I'm around them. Hmm? Right? You know, that's where the nitty-gritty comes, isn't it? You don't have to live with me all the time. That's a good thing. <laughs> you don't believe that? Ask my wife and kids. No, seriously, it's the people that we're the, so, the closest with that will tell you where our Christianity, whether it's worth anything or not. And the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And if we're growing in grace, my friend, that will be detected by the way we react to other people. When God places a burden upon us, instead of moaning and complaining and saying, Oh, no, I don't want this, Lord, Lord, why me, why me? Oh, Lord, I delight to do thy will. Lord, if it be possible, let the cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's the way we react. You see, God has appointed your lot in life. And your lot is not my lot. And my lot's not your lot. Some of us have good health. Some of us do not have good health. The first 16 years of my life, I had pneumonia 18 times. And I haven't had a serious disease or illness since then. And as far as I know, I'm in perfect health today. But tomorrow, God may appoint the rest of my life be spent with ill health. Now, how will I react to that? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And the good health mixed in with the ill health is going to bring conformity to the image of Christ. I do not pray, Lord, send me ill health. But if it comes, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God help us then to see that joy comes. Now, one more thing before we close, and that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. We have peace from meekness to inherit the earth. We have content, or rather joy in meekness and growing in the Lord. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, we have this final statement to make to you today. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you a godly person today? What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, do you delight in having the will of God done in your life? You mix that in as you mix a cake with contentment, and you'll find peace and happiness that you've never known before. Look at the next verse. Why is it great gain? For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith, what? Content. What did you bring into this world with you? Hmm? If the funeral home director calls me this afternoon after we're dismissed this morning and says, Mr. Gables, I've just received word that such and such has died suddenly and the family would like to have you to hold the final services for them. As we take you out to that cemetery, what will you take with you? Will you take those cars? Will you take those lands? Will you take those homes? Will you take those wives, those husbands? Will you take those precious children? Will you take all these with you? No. Why? Because you didn't come into the world with them. 
they were given you as God gave them to you. And Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we bring nothing in, we take nothing out. So what is the basic Christian conclusion? Whatever the talents which God has given us to use, use those. And as long as we have food and raiment, let us be content. You see what inheriting the earth really means then? And this will cause us not to be lifted up in pride by prosperity, nor distressed by adversity. I close with this statement to you. Meekness enables me, let's say as a five-talent individual whom God has appointed to in my lot in this life, the grace of meekness enables me to look over here at my brother and sister who's a ten-talent individual. And we want to bring it right down to it since I'm a minister. Let's put it, use it in this ministerial illustration. It enables me to recognize that there are men in the ministry with greater gifts and larger churches than I'll ever have. And I know ministers today that their insides are eating out because they can't get a larger church and be a better preacher or be a bigger preacher when God hasn't given them the ten talent gifts. And this enables me to look over at that man and just thank God for God blessing that man with that prosperity. And at the same time, me not be envious of the appointed lot that God's given him. But it also enables me to look down and to see that here's a man down here with one talent. But instead of despising that man and say, I can never learn anything from that man. I'm exhorted by Jesus that when he would teach the multitudes, he didn't call on the doctors of theology. He called out a little child and said, gentlemen, you want to learn how to preach and how to serve me? You study this child. And may I give this illustration to you as a church, a body here in this community. God has given us certain talents and an appointed lot for our ministry here in this community. And we are going to be held responsible for how we use those talents. But don't let us look out here and see some church down the road which has more members and is having more souls converted and then we become jealous of them. And say, well, there's something wrong. God, it isn't fair. And don't ever let us become guilty of looking at our little sister church out here in the country, which has 25 on Sunday morning, and ridiculing them and saying, well, if they just had the faith that we had, they'd have their church filled also. No, no. God's appointed lot is for each of us to use our talents to the best of our abilities and leave the fruit unto God. And so may that help us today as pastors, as a church, and whatever business and occupation that you conduct yourself in. Do it for the glory of God, but don't become lifted up by the prosperity of others, and don't become distressed by the affairs of some. And when these things are mixed in with your life, say with Paul, I've learned 
whatever state I'm in, to be content. Oh, blessed are the meek. You see why Jesus could talk like this and that multitude could say, I never heard a man speak like that before. Our doctors, our Pharisees, they never taught us a thing like this. We thought in order to be happy, we'd have to sit up there on the throne of Rome and sit up there with Caesar and rule the world. And yet I can sit down here with my little sheep, my little lamb, my oxen, and be the richest king on the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful today for the grace that's in your Son, for working in us that which we cannot and could not work ourselves, for subduing and starting a work in us which will one day be perfected. But we stand before you today acknowledging that we are not yet perfect, that we have not yet attained that which we seek after. And so we ask for grace to make us more like your Son, that we may do more of his will here upon this earth. And Lord, I thank you today before your presence and before this church for what you have allotted for me in life. Grant unto me the grace to face the future that whatever my portion I can save.